Good morning, everyone. It is great to have you here at Renew. It's always tough to follow a whale, but I'm gonna try. It's good to have you here and visiting with us. We love to get to know you a little better after the service. If you're here today and just checking us out, we don't typically have a tarp on our back wall, but uh, things are moving along and progressing as we get closer and closer to hopefully um, opening up the stadium seating even as close as Easter. But we are giving that to the Lord, and if the Lord wills, we will do that. It's our second week in our Jonah series. We're excited about this series because God's doing a great work through it. He's challenging us in all aspects of our faith on where are we behaving like Jonah. There's a group of college boys. They um, all played on the same basketball team in college. And uh, the freshman year, they, they really struggled. Their team got beat significantly. They, 30, 40 point losses were pretty regular. Their sophomore year wasn't much different. And in fact, because of that, um, being in a smaller college, they, there's often a lot of uh, coaching turnover and things that can happen at different times. People who didn't talk different things. They got a new coach and, and this coach really wanted to enforce discipline. I mean, he would make them do things like pass the ball to one another in practice. Like take the ball and pass it to your teammate. Like, are you kidding me? This is like eight-year-old stuff. And he read them their statistics of their turnovers from the previous year. And they agreed that maybe they should learn to pass again. They would practice dribbling. And they're like, are you kidding me? This is the stuff we learned as eight-year-olds. But he again would reference their turnovers. On top of that, you know what he did? You know what this coach did? He made him run. Can you believe this guy? He made them run. He made them run a lot. Sometimes this coach will make them run up the bleachers of the basketball stadium. I mean, are you kidding me? The gall of this guy. And, and then he would read them the statistics of their fourth quarters the previous year. And he said, you notice that in the fourth quarter, you guys would fall behind over and over. Is it possible it was endurance? And then, he went even further and started asking them to limit their diet choices the night before games. The goal to suggest wings aren't a good choice right before hoops. <laughs> this group of college guys, this team went on a road trip down to the Washington DC area. Why is this so specific? Um, and this group of boys, um, there's one room and, and there were a few uh, very significant players in that room, uh, some starters and very significant roles on the team. And um, they didn't like the idea of not being able to play video games and having a curfew because the game was the next day. And so they kind of snuck some video game play and, and started playing games late into the night, past the curfew time. So they heard a knock on the door. Why was there a knock? Because one of the guys can't keep his mouth shut when he plays NBA 2K and his players hit a shot. Yeah! And the captain knocks on the door. Guys, seriously, go to bed. We got a game tomorrow. We got a game tomorrow. We'll be fine. This team stinks. We're playing. Door closes. Game starts the next day and the team proceeds to kind of get blown out. They get handled. And on top of that, on the trip home, they didn't get the typical buffet. They only got like fast food. 
because they lost. So we got to be quickly back and nobody's talking on the bus. If you've ever played any collegiate sports, the way home is always a little more sad and a little less food when you lose than if you win. And so they're heading back and they get into the campus and they go to get their bags to go back to their dorm rooms. And the coach says, in the gym, it's like 11.30 at night, 11, 11.30, late, late. We got classes tomorrow, right? Right, like as if you only care when you want to, right? In the gym, they go into the gym and on the line, on the line, put your bags on the line, on the line. You didn't want to run in the game? We'll run now. And that coach began to teach lessons that he taught throughout the rest of that year. Have you ever played a little would you rather where somebody throws out a couple scenarios? Well, the coach that night threw out some would you rathers. He said, would you rather continue to lose Continue to get embarrassed, continue to get humiliated, continue to get exposed in the fourth quarter, continue, continue to have to deal with all the struggle. This team is starting to sink and sink and sink and it's because of your own stubbornness, your own unwillingness to follow discipline. But if we follow discipline, would you rather stay lazy and lose or start disciplining ourselves and win? And there were some guys on the team that had to think through that. Oh, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe let's stay in discipline and lose. Let's stay undisciplined and lose, right? And that team began to grow in discipline and grow in discipline and grow in discipline where it started making choices together. And they started to look at this coach as not this mean guy, but this coach who was disciplining them for victory to occur when the battles came in life. Would you rather do the easy wrong thing or would you rather do the hard but right thing? I guess sometimes it comes down to would you like losses or would you like victories? Jonah was given a command to go to Nineveh. Jonah was a prophet of God and he ran the other way. And last week in our opening message, running from God, we referenced something metaphorically we'll call the Joppa dock. Those moments in life where we're on the dock and we can do the hard right thing, which in Jonah's case would be to go to Nineveh and minister to this Gentile city that God wants to speak to or, or, do the easy wrong thing, which in this situation was to go to Tarshish, to go to greener pastures, if you will, to go to easier living or to get away from God's call. There are moments in our life where we're on that Joppa dock, where our integrity is challenged, our purity is challenged, our character is challenged, our perseverance is challenged and we're standing on that Joppa dock and we got choices to make. Am I gonna do the hard right thing or am I gonna do the easy wrong thing? Well, I don't know about you, but I like to learn from other people's mistakes. Anybody else? I'd rather not have to deal with it myself. I wanna learn. And in this scenario, thanks for coming today because we're gonna learn from Jonah. We're gonna see what happens when you choose the easy but wrong thing. 
And we learned last week, when you run from God, we should expect to be distressed. We should expect to see fallout. You're gonna affect other people's lives. We should expect to feel isolated. Because when we're doing the wrong thing, we don't want to be confronted. And we should expect to cause confusion. Oh, I believe it's the devil's trick to get us to think that if we just could get out of our current situation, if we could just stand on that Joppa dock and go do this, oh, it's gonna be so much better in that organization. It's gonna be so much better in that state. It's gonna be so much better if we go there. It's gonna be so much better. But the reality is, if God has called us to something, there is no other better place than in his will, even when it's hard. So why wouldn't we do what God wants us to do? Scripture says, he who knows what to do, but fails to do it to him is sin. Why would we do that? Well, because we're rebelling against God. Have you ever rebelled against God? I mean, you knew what God would want you to do. You knew what the scripture says. You know what his word leads you to do and you flat out don't do it. Oh, it's not a, oh, I just didn't know. You knew and you didn't care. You know what scripture says about harboring anger, but you want to be angry. You know what scripture says about carrying a bitter and complaining spirit, but you want to complain. You know what scripture says about secret lust and habitual sin, yet you allow that impurity to continue. You know that selfish motives will destroy other people, but you know you care more about yourself and you could really not care about anybody else. It's those moments where we know where we're supposed to submit to certain authority and we just don't want to do it. It's those moments when we live in purposeful disobedience. I call those moments, not Joppa docks, but Jonah boats. I'm getting in that boat. I'm living in that boat. What happens in that boat? Let's say... You say, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I know what the Bible says and I'm getting in that boat anyway. What is life like in that boat? What should we expect? Well, we tuned in today. We came here today to learn from Jonah, not from ourselves. And we're gonna see four things that we should expect to occur if we jump into a Jonah boat, a boat that is purposefully rebelling against the things of God. And that's gonna be a little bit of a scary ride today. And I'm gonna warn you, there's gonna be moments in this sermon where it's gonna confront our pride. For people who jump in Jonah boats can be pretty stubborn, pretty angry, and pretty upset. They've got reasons they got in that Jonah boat. They've got reasons they've said, forget you, God. And I wanna, I wanna just paint this over this message. There's not a perfect person in this room. Wait, let me check. Nope, there's not. And so do not allow shame and guilt to wreck the spirit from convicting and inspiring us to change. Because I think we're gonna find what looks like a terrible, mean, and cruel acts of discipline turn out to be some of the most grace-filled things you could ever see.
Four things to expect when we rebel against God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, use your text today. Use this sacred word to encourage us and motivate us to heed this. For there are those of us that come across times in life where we know what God wants us to do and we just flat don't wanna do it. Whether we think you're wrecking our fun, whether, you think we're, whether we think we can't trust you, whether we tried in the past and failed, we might have a lot of reasons why, but Lord, only you, only your word, only you can break through that stubborn, hard vessel and shatter it and use it for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray specifically for a spirit of humility in this place as we walk through this text. For we all have things that we have in the hidden places. Lord, may we see what to do so that we don't fall into the same thing to expect when the hand of discipline comes our way. May we learn from Jonah. May we take this scary boat ride and learn life lessons to help us avoid the same traps. Shape us, mold us, correct us in your precious name. Amen. All right, here we go. How far is Jonah willing to go to get away from God? Let me show you geographically. About 2,500 miles if that's what it takes. I mean, this guy is going the opposite. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Better idea, I'm going to Tarshish. And he's leaving. I mean, this is almost Philadelphia to Denver. I mean, we're, we're like, we're getting out of here. And I want you to remember this. There is a geographical break up here. And there's also a relational break up here, if you will. Geographically, with all the polytheism of that day, there is a tendency to believe that God is a God of this, is a God of this, is a God of this. And they would all pray to their various gods. But the Hebrew God, Yahweh, they are learning and finding out is a God of all the world. He is the God of the highest heavens. He is the God of the earth, the whole earth. He's not limited to one location as much of the belief of that time was. And so if Jonah thinks he can get out of God's region, he's sorely mistaken. But on top of that, there's a relational breakup here. If I said after the service, could I talk to you in the East foyer and you left the West foyer, I know there is someone who doesn't want to talk to me. How far is Jonah willing to go? As far as it takes. How far is God willing to come for his kid? Let's learn today. Scripture says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and the ship was about to break up. And, and as the waves came, I've, have you ever been on an angry sea? There is not much more intimidating than that. I had a chance to talk to someone who was in the Navy in the first service. He said, let me tell you something, Chris. The waves, they rise up out of the waters higher than the boat and everything's fine as long as you're on top of the water. But to see massive swells and huge, I've stood by the Niagara River, right by Niagara Falls. You ever make a trip up there? I mean, that is some angry water. But now imagine the ocean and these huge swells. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. 
Who did this? Now, casting lots was a practice that was even prescribed by God to the Israelites at times to know his will. It was also carbon copied by magicians to try to maneuver their own thinking. But in this situation, God honored it and he delivers the answer. They casted lots, kind of like a die and stuff on the top, on top of the ship or whatever they did. And they cast lots and, and here's what scripture says. And the lot fell on Jonah. When you rebel against God, first, first thing to note here, expect to be exposed. Not, not maybe, expect to be exposed. Luke 12, two says, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. I heard of an illustration one time where a husband was watching some very inappropriate material and he was streaming it and the stream connected somehow to the lady's house next door. She called the wife and said, something is streaming on my house. You can almost expect to get exposed when things are purposely being hidden. I know another story of someone who was struggling with road rage. They were trying to kind of keep it to themselves and smile, but as the story has it, they pulled into a, a grocery store. How do I know the story? Well, the grocery store was giant. And as they were pulling in, there was another car that didn't have its turn signal on for the parking spot. They had their turn signal on and, and they jumped in front of the car and they used a choice finger for the car that was trying to get into their spot. The problem was the one that was given the choice finger to was their pastor. <laughs> you see, 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 look on this back screen here. Expect to be exposed. It would have been a better story if the pastor had done it. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Wh whose account? And they began to ask questions. Well, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? What are they doing? What are they doing? We want to know what God we've upset. Is it your God? Is it possible? Where do you come from? What's the region? Remember, we're dealing with a bunch of polytheistic thinkers who go, maybe we can figure out whose God this is and so we can appease him in some way because on this account, evil has come upon us. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. That wouldn't have been a surprise to them for they were familiar with picking up Hebrews in Joppa, not a surprise. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, oh, who made the sea oh, and the dry land. Oh, it's Yahweh. You're running from Yahweh. Who made the sea that is currently raging and the dry land. Then the men, 
You can almost picture their hands shaking and the men were exceedingly afraid and they said to them, what is this that you have done? Any middle school boys in the room, have you ever heard that phrase? I got that a lot. What's wrong with you? What were you thinking? Here's the answer. I wasn't. What did you do? What did you do? Right? What did you do? My wife will say that sometimes after I try my own do-it-yourself project. What, what did you do? We need to call the guys at church. What have you done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Oh man, doesn't that lead to some little conjecture? How did they know? I mean, this is interesting, but this is what I love about the book of Jonah. It's so, it's so sometimes even silly, if you will, because it's, it's written in such a way where, where you don't have to guess. This is the second time we've seen this. How do you think they knew? Well, I wonder if he said something. Here, here we go, here we go. For the men knew he was fleeing from the present Lord. How'd they know? Because he told them. I, love, I mean, it's, oh, oh, okay. You know, what if you spend an entire small group? I think it was because, well, it actually it was just because he told them. He had to fess up. He had to admit his guilt. He had to say, it's me. In front of all these guys, he was hiding in a boat because he didn't want to get exposed. And now he's on the top deck with the captain going, what have you done? He's been caught. Here's the second thing. When you rebel against God, expect to be humiliated. Now don't, don't wonder if you will, expect it. I don't know, hon, I just thought one more loan would have gotten us out of it. I had no idea. I don't know. I just thought if we didn't do this, then maybe this would happen. I was just thinking if this happened, I didn't, you know, I mean, they left their paper right next to my desk and I saw the answers and I mean, uh, expect when you're running from God, if you're one of God's kids, expect at some point when you're rebelling against him to be humiliated. Scripture says this accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the rooftop, housetops. Oh man. I had a brother in Christ share with me. He said, this was one of the most humiliating moments of my life, Chris. I said, what happened? So I could share it at church. <laughs> Nobody wants to give out humiliating moments, but we've all lived them. He said, Chris, I had somebody working on my house and the project wasn't getting done. And I was getting so frustrated. On top of that, I was waiting for them to come. They wouldn't come. And this, I was just so frustrated. You ever just get frustrated? I said, absolutely, man. So, so he said, I just shot out a text of frustration to my wife. Nobody's ever sent a frustration text to their spouse. Nobody's ever done that. Um, sends it out. And he's like, I'm like, all caps. I'm like, this idiot didn't come again. I'm about to do something. And he's like, I'm going off, Chris. I'm just going off. And he goes, and I hit, I sent it to my wife and I got a text back. Thanks, appreciate it. I'm like, what? And he looked and he had sent it to the guy instead of his wife. Humiliated. How do you recover from that? He saw what I thought of his work. He heard the name call. I didn't represent Christ well. He said, Chris, I felt, 
I felt so humiliated. He uses it as a life lesson. I mean, haven't we done some things where we're like, I'm glad that that didn't get out. Any perfect people in the room? They said to him, what do we do? What should we do? We're back in the boat. What do we do that the sea might quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And Jonah said to them, pick me up and, is anybody reading this? Pick me up and hurl me into the sea? You don't think this is a good time for forgive me, Lord? You, you don't think this might be a moment where God, I'm sorry, I don't want to rebel anymore. You don't think this might be a moment of, I'm on my knees, God, forgive me. I'll go to Nineveh. No, 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 no. This is such a stubborn heart that I'd rather die. I'd rather have these guys assist in my death. than do what God wants me to do. There's something deeper going on in Jonah than just I don't wanna go, isn't there? There's something deeper. Throw me in and the sea will quiet down for you. There's no expectation of living here. There's no, I'll just swim. The sea is so tempestuous that he's going to die because it's me that all this is coming upon you. It's, it's on me. Now you know what these guys did, right? And some of you might be thinking, yeah, I went to Sunday school, they threw them in. But you know what they did before they threw them in? Can we review it? These guys, nevertheless, rode hard in the Hebrew, it means to dig your oar into the water. They rode hard. Why? To get back to dry land. We've got to get this guy to dry land. These guys are rowing hard for this guy who is disobedient to his God in their perspective. And now they're digging, they're fighting to get him back to shore because they don't want to see this guy die and they don't want to be a part of his death story. So they're digging in their oars. Wow, the stubbornness on both sides. Have you ever chosen stubbornness over submissiveness? Doesn't this, like, can we tease ourselves for a second? Okay, I'm not coming at anybody. We're just going to tease ourselves. Have you ever noticed this to be true when like you have an injury you don't want to deal with or whether you need some like orthopedic help? It's like, you know, you probably should get that surgery, you know, and you're like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine, right? You know what I'm talking about? Or, or, or you know, you probably should have gotten, you know, some, some AIDS instead. It's like, what? How come you don't talk loud anymore, right? You probably should have gotten it or, or, or you know, you know you, you, you've been not doing something with your, with your diet or something like that. Don't we often think the easier path is to just suffer along? Right? And, if, and, and, we, and then we finally submit and we, fine, fine. 
I'll do something about it. And we're like, why didn't I do that sooner? Why didn't I do that sooner? We so often think stubbornness is the right path, but it's the easy, wrong thing. Instead of the hard, yeah, but that means this. And then I got to sub doctor's point. Then I got to follow through with this. And then I've got to actually confront this. And then I actually have to do this. I mean, I mean, isn't it easier sometimes to just yell at your spouse instead of going, you hurt my feelings and I need to talk about it? I mean, isn't that the hard right thing? But isn't it easier sometimes to speak in code or to mock him or to demean her? Isn't that easier sometimes? Teenager, isn't it easier sometimes to join in with the crowd than kind of deal with the wrath of saying, I can't do that or I don't wanna do that? Isn't it just kind of easier to just kind of fall into those things and then before you know it, this is why our marriage looks like this, our life looks like this, our high school, our college looks like this and we do things like this. What's wrong with you, God? Where are you? When we just make decision after decision that is not what the Lord would want for us. The men rode hard. The men rode hard. Here's my third point. Expect to be burdensome. Expect to be burdensome. I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to be hard on anybody. When we rebel against God, we will burden other people. When we fail in our responsibilities, we put burdens on others. Scripture says, disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. Expect to be burdensome. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Therefore, they called out to the Lord Oh Lord, let us not, now, 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 just in case, just in case you thought this is how the story goes, like they were going, you know, um, so Jonah, where are you from? Um, what, what, what did you do? Um, come on up here to the top, let's talk. Just in case you think it's that, they're shouting, oh Lord, because they're in the middle of a storm, a massive storm, and it's raging on them. So when you read this text, and if you don't understand that this is a very tense and fearful moment that Yahweh has sent a massive storm. So it goes, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay us not this innocent blood for you. It's not like, oh Jonah, where are you from? It's like, where are you from? What God are you serving? Come here, what is going on? What do we do to stop this storm? We're all gonna die here. What have you done? What have you done? And the storm's raging and Jonah's like, just throw me overboard. What? Throw me overboard and it'll stop. And the men say, no, guys, dig, oars in the water. Let's go, we gotta get him back to shore. And they can't get there. The storm just gets harder and harder and harder because you're not getting out of this stubborn soul. You're not getting out of this willful spirit. The arm of the Lord is coming and its waves are rising. And so they grab Jonah, they find him, they pick him up. Scripture says they pick him up and they take him and they hurl him into the water. And it stops. It stops. What was the next words out of anybody's mouth? Whoa. 
clearly that was the God, it stops. What would your response be if you witnessed something like that? Oh, an incredible response it is. But I made my fourth point. When you rebel against God, expect to be sinking. Sinking. Scripture says there is a way that appears to be right. Oh, the devil is good at going, this appears to be right, doesn't it? But in the end, it leads to death. It appears to be right to go to Tarshish. It appears to be right to run from God. It appears to be right to take the easier path. It appears, but it leads to death. For my macro thinkers, have you done micro and macro yet? College students and kids, you gone through that yet? When you're doing micro and macro, you understand macro is looking at the bigger picture, right? Versus micro getting into the details. For my macro thinkers, has anybody picked up on something that's going on in this text? Scripture says that Jonah went down to Joppa. Then scripture says Jonah went down into the boat. And scripture says he went down into the inner part. And then scripture says Jonah went down into the water. And then scripture's gonna say he was down into something else. When we purposefully rebel against God and we know it, we're not playing any secrets, we know it. And whether we're playing the outside game, the inside game, he knows. Oh, you hypocrites who cleanse the outside of the cup but inside your filthy that spiral is downward. Have you ever seen somebody in your life who's sinking? They, they say there's some symptoms to it. Now these aren't scriptural, feel free to prick them apart, but there's some signs that you might be around someone who's possibly sinking and who could use some of your encouragement, child God. Here, here's a few signs and maybe, maybe, maybe it's you, but here's a few signs. Um, they begin detaching from relationships. Relationships are close, but they're starting to like arm bar them. They begin offering less and less input. They once were very opinionated, they're offering less. They begin to neglect responsibilities. They have responsibilities and not fulfilling. They're showing up late, they're leaving early, they're just, it, it, just neglecting responsibilities. They have a decreased quality of work. They used to be really strong in their quality and that, now they're just not that passionate. They become defensive and blame shifting if confronted. Hey, what's going on? Nothing, nothing. Why are you always asking me that? You know, if it weren't for this, if it weren't for that, um, they, they become very unable to explain their emotions. What's going on? What's going on? I, I don't even know. I don't even know how to say it. They begin to harbor resentment. Down below, there's just this burning inside. They're mad at something and sometimes it's even God. And, and, then, and then there's apathy toward consequences. You know, if we continue to do this as a family, this is going to happen. Start button on the video games. You know that if we don't address this, then this could happen. Ignition key in the car. You know, if we don't talk about what's going on, headphones on the ears. They become completely apathetic to the consequences. They're sinking. They're going down and down. And what do we know from scripture? What happens to the child of God when they're purposely rebelling? Expect to be exposed. Expect to be humiliated. Expect to be burdensome and expect to be sinking. 
And an immature faith steps back from that and goes, why is God such a jerk? An immature faith recoils from that and says, why doesn't he just leave us alone? An immature faith pushes back from that and goes, why would he do that? Doesn't he love us? But a mature faith that understands the God of scripture can answer the question to the most stubborn heart and also to the weak and broken heart, these two questions. Is God using storms because he hates you? Or is God using storms because he loves you? Is God sending this storm to Jonah because he hates him? Or is God sending this storm at Jonah because he loves him? You see, God knows something that we try to ignore. Sin will always do three things. Sin will always cost you more than you wanted to pay. It's just down and down and down. Sin will always keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It was only gonna be a little bit. I didn't really think it was gonna be a big deal. And sin will always take you farther than you wanted to go. I could stop any time. It's not controlling. Hey, one day I'll live for God. Just right now, I don't want to. Sin will always take you farther. And your heavenly father, when he says don't, he wants you to not hurt yourself. An immature faith says, no, he's coming to ruin my life. A mature faith understands that God's discipline comes from a heart of love. And the reason so many people get this messed up at times is because they equate sometimes how they were treated, even by their parents or even by their father, to how God treats them. And if dad used shame and belittlement and guilt, they can often think God will do the same thing. I have a dear mentor in my life. He said, I walked away from God partly because I couldn't stand my dad. He'd go to church, he'd say all the righteous things and all week long, I'd get nothing but the opposite. He was mean, nasty, belittling, intimidating, cruel, and I was sick of it. I go to church, I get judged, all this different stuff. So I'm in my 30s. I got three girls and one of my girls is hospitalized. I know I'm walking away from God and I knew I shouldn't be, but I was so angry and I was always blaming my dad or blaming the church or blaming something else. But the problem was in my own heart and I'm by that hospital bed and I had such a fear of the Lord saying, God, if I brought this on, if anything like that, Lord, please forgive me. I wanna live my life for you. He say, Chris, it was a wow moment in my life. I didn't have a healthy fear of the Lord until that moment. And God worked in miraculous ways in my life. But that's the beginning of a life lived, not needing discipline throughout. And that's why scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Many of us think God is coming to punish us but if you're a child of God, Jesus Christ already took the punishment. There is no condemnation on the child of God. He loves you and there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. Why? Because Jesus took your sin on the cross and he paid for it. All my past, present, and future sins are paid for. I stand before my heavenly father in Christ's righteousness, amen?
So if that's true, he's not coming to guilt and shame me. He's coming to convict and correct me. Like a coach who says, Chris, run. It's gonna be good for you. Up the steps every day. Up, up the step, up the steps. Because we're gonna win. We're gonna have victory. And if you don't understand your coach's motivation is for his child, not against his child, you'll start thinking all these things on this boat where God being mean, when in fact, you're seeing the grace of God pursue someone who abandoned him, basically spit in his face and said, I'm going somewhere else. Yet he kept coming. And I stood back, I thought, how could I illustrate this? Because sometimes we still get this mean God sometimes thing and child of God, he is nothing but loving. So, so, so I thought of something that could illustrate this. Do you know what Isaiah 64, eight says? It says this, you are the father and we are the clay and all of us are the work of your hand. That can illustrate for you how discipline works with the child of God. But if it's not working, here, I, let me check, see if I got some pottery here. Oh, I do. What do you know? Look at that. All right, here we go. Here we go. Okay, we're gonna bring this out here. All right, let's, let's bring this forward here. And um, now, now, if you are way into pottery, please don't judge what you're about to see. I'm gonna do my best. I am very nursed on YouTube. No, no, I just looked over this and I saw there's some aspects to pottery that help us understand how our heavenly father works with his clay. You know, in pottery, there seems to be about eight steps. I'm gonna just do four. Here's the first step. The potter chooses his clay. Okay, that's how I started, chooses his clay. So he kind of takes a look here. He chooses his clay. Okay, and he begins to, all right, already that's awesome. To think that before the foundations of the earth, scripture tells me that God chose me and that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I already feel blessed. For while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me and that God chose me. And when I accepted him as salvation, it was part of his sovereign plan and now I am the clay and he is the potter. I'm, a, I'm the work that he's chosen to work on. I'm the work of his hands. Now, now, did you know that there's different kinds of clay? There's earthenware, which is kind of probably the most cheapest and easiest to mold. There is stoneware, which is a bit more durable, okay? A little bit more difficult, has high touch. Then there's porcelain. Porcelain is like smooth, okay? And it's very difficult to mold, okay? It, it doesn't, doesn't that kind of speak earthenware, easy to mold, stoneware, kind of durable for God's purposes and porcelain. That's kind of those like the stubborn kid, okay? The kid who's got a tough call in his life and, and the kid who, who just is humble and is expecting a little more molding in life. I, I like that. And in fact, in fact, that gets me more excited about this verse. Look at this verse here. Paul says, but we have this treasure in what kind of vessels? Not porcelain, in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's nothing that great about my earthen vessel. It's just this clay pot, but God entrusts me with the gospel in it. 
He entrusts me with the truth in it, maybe even a truth that needs to go to Nineveh. But, but, but he, he trusts me with that and I'm a vessel. And, and for the more stubborn heart that says, hey, I, I wanna do things my way. Look what scripture says about this in Isaiah 29, 16. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Should the clay be like, you don't know what you're doing. The potter goes, I am the potter, you are the clay. And so the first step in pottery is they, the potter selects the clay. Did you know what comes next? They, they, it's called wedging, okay? Um, um, now in the, in the process of wedging, um, different things, shapes can be made. This is where they sometimes will add different colors. So if like, there's another color, and I know this isn't another, they'll mix it in and then they'll wedge it together, okay? And this is a process where you kind of just kind of push and push, you like punch sometimes. It's a little more involved, all right, where you're just kind of wedging this thing and, and making it more and more. And, and I think this is important for us to know because sometimes when we're getting pressed down, sometimes when we feel crushed on the sides or, or pressed down, we can feel like, like, what's going on in my life? And we need to know the difference when God is working and we're under the mighty hand of God. Is this, is this a trial I'm going through or is this a consequence? Well, what's the difference? A trial a trial comes along based on nothing we've done wrong. Scripture says Job was righteous, but the trial came into his life to perfect him and grow his faith. But it was difficult and there were times where he was really getting smashed and pressed in and pushed and pressed. It was difficult, that wedging process. Or is this a consequence? See, a trial, we are to mature and grow from. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith and produces steadfastness. Come on, guys, run. Come on, guys, work out. Come on, we're gonna get this. We're not gonna fall apart late in the games. We're gonna discipline our bodies. We're gonna discipline us, the potter disciplines. Or is this a consequence of your own decisions? See, a consequence is different from a trial. Consequences are because we did something. They come to correct us, child of God. My child, do not reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you for the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Don't get upset when he starts correcting because he corrects those in whom he delights. So, so is it a trial? Or is it a consequence? And how I respond. If it's a trial, I am to grow and mature from it. God's gonna use this in my life. If it's a consequence, I need to turn and repent and get out of it. Then there's the third part, and that's the shaping. When the shaping comes, they, they, you can do a couple different things. You can spin and they can shape. You can do a, a couple different things. But what happens during the shaping is a lot of things come to fruition, that, that weren't there before because the potter is really now kind of grabbing in and doing a bunch of different things. So, so I, I like to call it the moment of re, okay? There's so many re's in scripture, but a lot of times when we go through trials, he's removing our pride, like this part here. That's gotta, that's gotta come out, he's removing. And, and, and sometimes he's revealing 
our heart and exposing any rebellion. And he, and he just starts to expose things as he, he's working on us. And I didn't know that was there. He goes, I know, but I'm working on you and I'm forming you because you are the clay in the potter's hands. And, and as you watch him do this, he often will reorganize our priorities. Have you ever had something come into your life where you were living a certain way, but before you know it, this happened and ouch, that hurt. But you know what, God, I'm realizing that's not that important anymore. And this is what's really important. And then on top of that, when we go through different struggles as the potter's shaping the clay, he prepares our faith for a future calling and how he wants to use us. And what we didn't think we could do before, he, he begins to build in us and, and use it to do great and mighty things as he keeps working and shaping his child of God. Because even the tools, I have a friend who is actually in surgery. He says, if you think surgery is this beautiful thing, there's sometimes cutting and there's sometimes, um, it can get kind of ugly. It's a good thing we're asleep, right? Because during these moments when we're adding and shaping and forming and refining, we're making something for our purposes that you can't see at the moment. But when it will one day be revealed, it will be exactly what we needed to get our attention because he's removing and revealing and reorganizing and reestablishing. He chooses, he wedges, he shapes so that when the heat comes, the refining part, the glazing part, when the heat comes, we can hold up and live for him. In those moments when trials come that I am to grow from, in those moments when consequences come because of my disobedience, I've got a choice to make. Would I rather do the hard right thing and submit or the easy wrong thing and rebel? I have three questions that help steer me. Maybe they'll encourage you. When the heat comes, would you rather receive grace or receive opposition from God? I vote grace. Okay, okay, okay. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In your situation right now where pride's been winning the day, where can you humble yourself? Here's my second one. When the heat comes, would you rather rapidly turn around or be stubborn and slowly broken down? Oh, rapidly turned around. Okay, okay, okay. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Lord, I confess that secret. Lord, I confess that sin to you. Lord, I don't want to live in a rebellious state before you, God. I don't want your discipline. I want mercy. Repentance turns around. That's what the word repentance means. Or we can be stubbornly broken down. Let's not learn the hard way. The potter is going to shape us regardless. And then third, I ask this maybe, would you rather be humble or be humiliated? I won't be humiliated. Well, pride ends in humiliation. But scripture says with humility though, it brings honor. For all of God's kids who don't want to learn through God's discipline, who want to be obedient to him, we, we can take these lessons from Jonah and say, God, I wanna be quick to the table of humility. But it's too late for Jonah, right? He's sinking. He gave up on life. 
He checked out. He's thrown overboard. There's only one place he's going to hit, and that is rock bottom. He's drowning. His stubborn, willful, rebellious heart towards God has him drowning in the water, and nobody can help him now. Nobody. It would take an absolute miracle of God to help a man that's stubborn. It would take a miracle of God to come and to save this adulterous heart, this rebellious spirit, this judgmental soul who will not talk to Nineveh. It would take a gracious, loving, and merciful God to stop him from hitting rock bottom. How far is Jonah willing to go? I think the better question is, how far is our loving heavenly father willing to come for his kids? Stubborn heart, Jesus loves you. Even with what you've said about him. Angry person, Jesus loves you, even if you feel other people don't. He loves you so much, this is how far he put his hands out for you. He died on the cross that you could have everlasting life. And he says, in this age of grace, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Get out of the Jonah boat. And if you don't, I'm coming for you. Join us next week to see what happens. Heavenly Father, use your word today to help us learn what not to do. There's no perfect people in this room. All of us have things we would rather not be exposed. Lord, forgive us for those. And on top of that, would you do one more? Would you show us mercy as we call out for grace? And Lord, in our most stubborn moments, thank you for this account in scripture to show us that you love us even then. What is it like to be a child of God? It's to know that you have a heavenly father that will go through great lengths to finish what he has started. For he is the potter and we the clay. God, may we be easily molded in the potter's hands. And may we choose, even if it's hard, to do what you have for us. For we are learning that there is no other way that can do anything but bring difficulty. Do your work, Lord, and we'll trust you with the results. Forgive us when we don't understand and we mistake the things that are occurring in our life as a mean God. When you are far from that, you love us so much, you'll even work in miraculous ways to bring us to you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen.